father to a pastor in a moment. Um, we were able to get Brother Cam out, so we praise God for that, and we want to uh, just continue to pray for him. Um, I pray that no one saw that as being insensitive. I know him, and he would want us to keep going. Um, so we, we praise God, and we're going to um, thank him and continue just to, to point us and, and, and seek Jesus in this. So where we are today, first of all, let me again say happy Resurrection Day. Today marks the central confession of the Christian faith. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Or we say it this way, the tomb was empty so that we don't have to be. So the tomb was empty so that you and I don't have to be empty. And we are here this morning because we believe that Jesus Christ literally and physically was resurrected from the dead. We do not believe that this was an analogy. We do not believe that this was a metaphor. We are not here celebrating this morning that Christ got up when he was knocked down so that we can get up too. That's not what we're here celebrating. What we believe is that Jesus Christ was physically and literally killed. And he was in the grave from Friday afternoon until Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, he physically rose from the grave. In fact, if Christ did not do that, then everything else we believe is based on a lie. In fact, Scripture says it itself. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. But if he did rise from the dead, and we're here this morning believing that he did, we're here this morning declaring that he did, Amen. then everything changes. If he rose from the dead, everything changes. In the words of the German philosopher Wolfhart Pannebeer, says these words, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. So we'd give him that. It's unusual to say that a dead man lives, but that's what we are here saying. But then second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. If you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. And that's an amazing truth for us to begin and for us to consider this morning as we begin. But that is not the direction that we're going this morning. We're not going to spend our time looking at evidences of the resurrection, although we could. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to zero in on a claim that Jesus made that had some amazing ramifications for that first Easter Sunday. And it's a claim that has the same ramifications for us even today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to John chapter 11, and we want to encourage you to follow along so that you know that we're not making any of this up this morning. This is straight from the Word. And if you are new this morning, we are seven weeks into an eight-week series where we are walking through the I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And what we've said is that we want to wrap our minds around not just what Jesus has done, we want to wrap our minds around um, who He is. And believing that if we understand who he is, then it will strengthen our faith to even believe more what he has done and what he will do. So that's what we've been doing. And the statement we're going to dive into this morning is Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's actually the fifth of the seven I am statements where Jesus uses the personal name for God, I am. Then he attaches an idea to it um, to point people to the fact that he is God. So that's the whole point. And we rework the order a little bit, taking these statements out of order so that today on Easter Sunday we could celebrate, um, or as we celebrate the death of death, we could lift high Christ as the resurrection and the life. 
So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're able, um, to stand as we honor God's word. We're just going to read John 11, verse 25. And then we're going to skip around a little bit in this chapter. But it says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Let's pray. Father, we come before you on this day, believing, declaring that a dead man lives. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. We can face eternity. We can face forever because he lives. And Lord, we just pray today that through your living Son, through your living Word, through your Holy Spirit, that you would speak into the hearts and lives of, of people today in this room as only you can. God, fill our hearts with hope, fill our hearts with joy, fill our hearts with, with truth. As we look to you, O oh God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So just think about this. When we come to John chapter 11, there is a whole lot that's happening in this chapter. You have a man named Lazarus who is sick. You have his sisters, Martha and Mary, reaching out to Jesus for his help. At the same time, the disciples are clueless and they're scared, which is the ongoing theme of their lives. Then you have the crowd um, that's gathering around Mary and Martha. Um, they're hostile at at worst, and they're skeptical at best. So this is a lot going on. And then in the midst of all of John 11, death seems to reign. Death is haunting this whole chapter. And from the beginning of John 11, Jesus doesn't respond like those who know him think he should. But he does respond in a way that allows us to know who he is. So let's unpack this morning three amazing Amazing claims, three amazing truths concerning Jesus as the resurrection and the life. The last one is you're going to be expecting, but the first two might be a little different. So I just pray that you would just see this beauty this morning. But the first truth is this. As the resurrection and the life, Jesus is showing his unusual love for us. It sounds weird, but Jesus is showing his unusual love for us. So John begins this chapter by emphasizing Jesus' love for Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And the reason I think John begins this way is because what comes next will not seem like love to us. In fact, look at verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lazarus is sick. He's ill. He's not doing well. Now look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. In moments like this, we will either judge Jesus' love through the lens of our circumstances, or we will judge our circumstances through the lens of Jesus' love. We will do one or the other there. But if we demand that Jesus love us in the way that the world sees love, then we will never truly know the love that God has for us. And just look at the connection here again between verses 5 and 6. If you look at the way it ends in verse 5 and begins in verse 6, you will see that it doesn't say that Jesus loved them, but he waited. It says that Jesus loved them, so he waited. He didn't hurry to the side of Lazarus, and because of that, Lazarus died. And in writing this, John is stressing Jesus' love for this family because John knows that what he writes next will not feel like love to us. Few human beings think of love like this. We think of love as rushing to the scene of what is going on. 
And John wants us to ask the question, how is it loving? How is this love? How is it loving to say that Jesus loved them and yet he, he waited? Let me just say this. You don't have to be an expert in first century history to just stop and imagine what would it have been like for those sisters to try to nurse their dying brother back to health while waiting on Jesus to get there, only to see Jesus no-show. And then their brother dies. And then finally, when Jesus does show up, their brother has been dead for four days. And both Martha and Mary come to Jesus at separate times, but yet they say the same exact thing to him, which shows us that this is what they were saying in private. And what they say to Jesus is, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. Here's what they're saying. If you would have done what love was supposed to do, then our brother would still be alive. If you would have done what love is supposed to do, our brother would still be living. And let me just lay this before us this morning. There are those in this room who have or who are looking at, still looking at tragic events in your life, and you're asking, how can God be loving and allow me to go through this? How can God be a God of love when I'm going through this? For many of us, what lies behind us has now defined us. It has become our badge. It has become the way we see ourselves. It's become the way that defines who we are. I think about when we first were matched with Malachi. Um, as soon as we saw him, we knew we didn't want to have Micah, Misty, Morgan, and Madison, and Hank. We wanted to make sure it was an M name. So, of course, we immediately we named him Malachi and Finally, the day comes, as you know, for us to go over. Um, we had told them the name we were given him. In fact, that name appeared on his birth certificate in India. But we met him. It was the grandest day. And then his caregiver said to him, tell, him, tell them your name. They were so proud they had been working on his name and him being able to tell it to us. So his name is Malachi Charwin, but he looks at us as they have been working with him, and he said, Malachi. And of course, we were like, oh, no. Oh, and all we could do was, yay, thank you so much. And for the first three months of having him home, he argued with us. We would say, hey, Malachi. And he would say, no, Malachi, that is my name. So he basically, what somebody else gave him to find him. And sometimes we are the same way. What someone else has done to us as we, it defines us. It carries us. For many of us, there's this thing. Like I said, it's defining moment. One, some of us are, are saying to ourselves, because of what is in my past, there's no way that God could love me. My sin far exceeds the cross of Christ. There's no way that God could love me. But then there's others who are, like I said, are saying, how could I be going through this and God still love me? God's not responding the way that he should respond if he really loves me. Think about this. How many where are you moments exist all across this room? How many moments have we said, God, where are you? Where are you, God? Where are you? And just think about this. You have two sisters who are watching their brother die. All the while, they're looking out the window waiting for Jesus to show up. They're wanting him to show up. The messenger had already returned. And just imagine that conversation. Martha says, did you tell him? And the messenger says, yes, I told him. And what did he say? He said that this illness would not lead to death. And then he started teaching again. Oh, and then their brother dies. Just imagine that. And what John is telling us is that 
It was love that moved Jesus to let Lazarus die. It was the love of Jesus for this family, for his disciples, and for us that caused him to let Lazarus die. And this is where we see the unusualness of the way that Christ loves us. If you don't think the way that God loves us and Christ loves us is unusual, then just look to the cross. We'll, we'll see that picture. So Jesus is showing us his unusual love for us. But then secondly, as the resurrection and the life, Jesus is displaying his unimaginable glory to us. So the first thing that Jesus does when he finds out that Lazarus is now ill is he put it in relation to his glory and the glory of his Father. Look at verse 4. In verse 4 it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said to his disciples, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Then in verse 40, Jesus is talking to Martha, and he says to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And this might even make less sense to us to say that God, through our hurts, through our pains, even through our sickness, is weaving together a story that tells of his glory. Doesn't make sense to us? Think about it like this. Our lives are like the reverse side of a great tapestry. From the back, which is our side, all we can see are the knots and the imperfections, and to us it looks random and it looks like chaos. Only from the front side of the tapestry, which is God's side, is it possible to see how it all fits together. On our side, things feel like they're out of control. On our side, it seems like chaos is reigning. Yet on God's side, there is a beautiful picture that is being formed that will be for our good and that will be for God's glory. So Lazarus' illness is not just about pain, although it's painful. It's not just about death, although he would die. This illness is mainly about the glory of God and the glory of his son. In fact, let me say it this way. We must see that Jesus' love for us is not a love that leads him to spare us from every pain, every suffering, and even death. That's not what Jesus' love means. What Jesus' love means is that he loves us by giving us what we need most. And let me just explain what that is. What we need most in this life is not physical healing. What we need most in this life is him. It's him. What we need most is his glory. Yet, how do you grab a hold of that? How do you grab a hold of the glory of God when your life is turned upside down? How do you grab a hold of the glory of God when your life is spinning out of control? And I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't leave us to guess. Look at verses 14 and 15. In verse 14 and 15, Jesus says to his disciples, He told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, that you may believe. Lazarus' illness and death, Jesus is saying, is about my glory, and I am most glorified when you believe in me, even when things don't make sense. Then look at verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, hear it again, believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He's speaking about Lazarus. That's for Lazarus. And then verse 26, and everyone who lives, hear this, and believes in me shall never die. That's for Martha and that's for us. And these are the promises for those who believe. 
Jesus loves us and he's willing to do whatever it takes to bring glory for us to see his glory. Therefore, Jesus allows Lazarus to die. Jesus brings hurt and pain into Martha and Mary's life. And he does it because he wants them and he wants us to see his glory. And what Jesus is asking us, and please hear this this morning, Jesus is asking us to trust him. To trust him. To trust that he is good and to believe that he is weaving a story of his glory, even if it involves pain, and believe that he is doing it for our good. He's doing it for our good. And I know maybe, if you're in the middle of it right now, maybe you're saying, but I don't see the story. And of course you don't see the story because you're in the middle of it. You never can see the story when you're in the, the middle of it. But I promise you, if you are his child, glory is coming. Glory is coming. So Jesus is displaying his unimaginable glory to us. And then third, as the resurrection and the life, Jesus is placing his undeniable power before us. He's placing his undeniable power before us. He's saying, this is who I am. And it wasn't enough for Jesus just to have a theological conversation with Martha. Although he does. He says, I'm the resurrection of life. And Martha says, yes, I believe that we are going to rise again later on, sometime in the future. I believe all that. But Jesus is saying, no, I don't want to just sit here and have a theological conversation with you. I want to show you something in order for you to see my glory and ultimately for you to see my power. And I love what happens next. In verse 39, it says that Jesus said, take away the stone. And if you keep reading, especially if you have the King James Version, I love this part because it says that Martha says, No, Lord, don't remove the stone. He's been dead for four days and he has begun to stinketh. What a great word there. That's, that's middle school boy, stinketh, is what we're talking about here. So just in case you're wondering what that means, there is the, the great interpretation of that. But Martha says, No, he has now begun to stinketh. What a great word. But then Jesus continues on. Doesn't let that... Um, Slow him down at all. So then it says, Jesus says, roll the stone away. And then verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he's praying. And he's saying, Lord, I thank you that you always hear me. And then it tells us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out or Lazarus, come forth. And then we're told the man who had died came out with his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. And I want you to think about this. In the midst of all of the pain, all of the tears, all of the question, questions, Jesus enters into the ring with our greatest enemy, which is death. And Jesus defeats it. Do we understand the power that that shows? Do we understand that Jesus can bring anyone out of the grave with just a word? D.A. Carson says this, that Jesus, um, had, had not Jesus specified Lazarus by name, every tomb in Jerusalem would have given up their dead. I mean, this is the power of Jesus. This is who he is. What a truth. But let's not forget the pain. Let's not forget all that Mary and Martha had experienced over those four days. Just think about it. We can feel that, right? We can feel their pain. We can feel their doubts. We can feel all that they had to have gone through. And then, then imagine what happens when Lazarus hops out of the tomb. What happens to all of those memories? What happens to all of that sadness? What happens to all of the heartbreak? 
when Lazarus comes forth, you know what happens to it? It all goes away. In a moment, it all goes away. All the sorrow, all the loss, all the heartbreak, all the doubt, all the fear, all the accusations against Christ of whether or not he actually cares, whether or not he is actually loving, whether or not he actually is who he says he is. All of those things are gone in a moment when Lazarus hops out of the grave like the Easter Bunny. Just hops out, right out of the grave. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. And let's finish strong this morning. How do we know? How do we know that this amazing miracle is not just a a one-time special event? How do we know that this is something that we can read about and we can applaud, but yet it has nothing to do with us? How, How do we know that this actually has something to do with us? And this is really good news. Because this is where we realize that we are here this morning, and in being here this morning, we are not celebrating the resurrection of Lazarus because he died again. Instead, we are here celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which shows us as Christians that death, that death is dead and that sin has been defeated forever. That is what we are here celebrating. So when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, then when Jesus dies on the cross... And he dies on the cross to show us that he is the only savior of sinners in the world. And then when Jesus conquers death, Jesus hated death so bad that he died in order to kill it. So he conquered death. Therefore, when all of that happens, the way of life has been placed right before us. And it is in him. It's in him. John Piper, in looking at these words of John 11, says this. This is the glory of Jesus. Jesus raised Lazarus because he is the resurrection. And this story is God saying to you, I love you. My love for you is not sparing you suffering and death. It is the gift of myself, my glory. Do you see me? Do you see me for who I really am? Come to me. I have much more to show you. The question this morning for us is, do you, want, do you want true life? Do you want full life? Do you want abundant life? Do you have that? If you do, then let me tell you, if you're here this morning, you don't have that life, then stop looking to yourself for it. Stop looking to other people to give it to you. And instead, start looking to Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though we die, yet shall we live. Yet shall we live. So what do we do this morning? Here's what we do. We look to Jesus by believing in him. And then we believe in him by looking to him. So we look to Jesus by believing him. And then if we want to believe, we keep looking and keep looking. And we keep looking. Do you see? Do you see who he is today? Do you see him today as the resurrection and the life? If not, will you see him today as the resurrection and the life? Will you see him who has the power over life and death in his hand, in his word, in his very life, to lay down and to take it up again. Oh, that we would see it. We are about to enter into this time of invitation where we ask that whatever God is, is telling us to do, that we would, we would do it. But the, the statement this morning is this. If you are here and you have never, never trusted in Christ as your Savior, we would implore you, beg you, urge you, because of the grace of God, to turn away from trusting in yourself You can't save yourself. I'm living proof you can't. No no matter how 
good you think you are or how many things you think you can do, you can't do it. So we look away from ourselves, and instead we look to Jesus who has done it all for us. And we trust and believe and receive what he has done for us. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward as we prepare this time of invitation. And we ask if God is speaking to anyone in this moment that you would do what he says. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there's freedom here today. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you, oh God, for who you are who have, you've showed us yourself and your son Jesus. You've showed us how much you love us, even if we can't wrap our heads around it. You, you show us, God, how glorious you are and that you are working all things for our good and ultimately, God, for your glory. Even when they don't make sense, God, we believe you. We trust you to know that, that glory is coming. And then we know, Father, that you have, through your son, placed your power before us. And your word says, God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. God, we praise you for that. We can't even wrap our minds around that. But I pray, Lord, in this moment for any in here who don't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day, God, that they no longer ignore you. They no longer look past you or try to look around you. But they have to come to you as the resurrection and the one who gives life. God, give life today. Lord, I pray for others in this room today who are believers, but right now in this moment, somehow their lives are being defined by something else. By their own failure, by circumstances and difficulties that have happened to them. And that has become the defining thing in their life and I just pray Lord that you would show them in this moment that that is not what defines them you define them your relationship God with them defines them your power over that circumstance defines them and you are working it even now together God for good help us to believe that today help us to trust that today Lord when we can't see it when it doesn't make sense Lord we trust and know who you are and you are good. You're good. Your mercies endure forever. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to do what we could not do. Thank you for salvation. In his name, we all pray. Amen. Amen.